Spirit tonight. This is going to be kind of a challenging word. Anyway, Lord, we just pray over the word tonight. And it, you might want to bring down my volume on this headset just, just a little bit, like half a notch. But Lord, we thank you for tonight. We pray, Lord, over this word that the precious Holy Spirit Lord, will just brood over every person that's going to be hearing this and fill us and captivate us. Help us, Lord, to give you our best ear, our full attention, our focus, that our minds are focused, our hearts are focused. And, Lord, we have eyes and ears of the Spirit. The Bible says some have eyes to see but don't see, ears to hear but don't hear. Lord, that you would anoint our eyes and ears and help us to be able to see and hear. Lord, that you would help us to have good fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives and be ready. And as this word goes out, that it will be as living seeds of truth sown into good fertile soil. Watered by the Holy Spirit, take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains until Jesus comes to really be in tune with you, Lord. And I pray that this word will go out as light, dispelling all the darkness, lies, evil, and deception, and bring truth and revelation. Lord, let it be a sword that cuts through and cuts away what needs to, what needs to go. Let, the, let it be as a mighty hammer that breaks down strongholds. And Lord, let the winds of your spirit carry this word wherever it's supposed to go, and your angels watch over it. Lord, we bind the enemy that would try to hinder and steal the seed and try to oppress or hinder the word. We bind you in Jesus' name. Back off. We break his power. But, Lord, let this go forth and accomplish everything you want to do. Come upon me, Lord, and speak through me and let it go forth. In Jesus' name we pray. The Bible says your word won't return void. We stand on that. But it's going to accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, everybody do me a favor. Everybody say this out loud. I love, I love Pastor, Scott. Pastor Scott. Thank you. Now, I'm going to hold you to that because this is... <laughs> This is one of those words, you know, no, it's, it's not going to be that bad. But this is, just, you know, I, I don't, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with having sermons pre, pre-prepared or whatever that you kind of repeat. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. In fact, if you travel, when I've traveled, there's been a few times I've used a sermon before that I've already, but I don't do that with River of Life. I, I really pray every single sermon God gives me, he usually gives it to me weeks in advance, and I'll have plenty of time to study. But he gives me a word, and it is from the Lord. It's not just something that I read or, or whatever. It is from the Lord. And it, I believe that it's rhema, it's manna, it's, it's for us tonight, okay? With that said, um, this word is going to be a challenging word, but it's part two. I'm going to do three. So the week before we had Pastor Benny last week, if you remember the week before, I did a sermon about revival preparation. This is part two. And then when we get back from Thanksgiving, I'm going to do another sermon, part three, on revival preparation. So remember the last time I preached, I want you all to really give me your best ear. The last time I preached, I talked about how we've got to be ready because when God really begins to move, how the enemy wants to try to stir up an attack to come against the move of God. Remember that? And I talked about how Levi and Judah and these other tribes, they, they were able to be used of the Lord and how Levi stood up for the Lord. You know, they stood up um, for his holiness, his righteousness, and they were willing to fight for the Lord. And God wants us to be strong. He wants us to be warriors. And as revival comes, the enemy may try to attack, especially through religious people that criticize the move of God. So I want you to be ready for that. And I, and I gave you several different examples of things that are a little bit controversial that the enemy might try to attack in those areas. And I, I want you to be ready, okay? As a pastor, um, my heart is, is that people don't get hurt when these things come if you're ready now i believe that you can prepare your heart that when the devil tries to send attack and begins to send people that are criticizing or whatever that it's not going to cause your heart to be hurt okay so just be ready now this is the second part and we're going to deal with the issues within us it's just like i talked about that revival on ulster on in 1859 I mean, it was started with just four young men praying in an old abandoned schoolhouse. And that's similar to the Hebridean revival. 
We started with two old ladies praying in a house and maybe around a dozen men that prayed in a barn. And that was it. A small group. Most major revivals, most of them, historically, have started with very few numbers, but they were willing to really consecrate themselves unto God, unify, and really pray. And God showed up. Now when this comes... I want you to be ready. So this sermon tonight is going to be challenging and maybe a little bit of convicting, okay? But like you said at the beginning of the service, I love Pastor Scott. So I'm going to hold you to that, okay? And I'm sure that you want a pastor that's going to preach the whole word anyway. I know you guys, okay? So Matthew 24, verse 9. This is a revival preparation. This is, I'm trying to help people be ready for what's coming. It says here, Matthew 24, verse 9, talking about the last days, that they will deliver you to tribulation. Now, Jesus was talking about the last days. They will deliver you into tribulation and will kill you. It's very encouraging words Jesus given us here. And you'll be hated by all nations because of my name. And at that time, many... Now, please, this is what the whole sermon's about, so grab this right here. At that time, many, not a few, many will fall away. All right, fall away can be translated offended. It's important that you know that. It's the Greek word scandalon. Um, this whole sermon centers on this scripture right here, so I'm really bringing it home. It says there's going to be people that are offended. And because of that, look at this, they will betray one another and hate one another. Many, And then this goes, kind of all of it flows together, okay, they get offended, they begin to hate and betray one another, then false prophets. See, there's a flow there for a reason that you'll see. False prophets will arise and mislead many. You have to be careful because if your heart is not pure, Satan will try to use wrong voices to lead you astray. And then verse 12, because lawlessness or wickedness there will increase, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures till the end, he shall be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, then the end will come. So I want you to notice here that because wickedness and lawlessness will increase, the love of many will grow cold. I had spent time with a pastor recently, and he had been through a really difficult time. Most of my pastor friends, I have around maybe four or five that I talk to pretty regular, and, and we're good friends, and most of them have really been through some, some difficulties. And it would be easy for any of them, myself included, if we wanted to, to get bitter. And he was telling me, when we were leaving the Starbucks, we were hanging out. He, told, he looked at me. He's, he's quite a bit older than me. And he looked at me and he said, Scott, listen. He said, don't, don't be a statistic. And then, you know, he just like gave me a hug and left. And I really, it really stuck with me. I felt it. I felt the anointing when he told me that. See, most people, most people, their love will grow cold. That's a statistic. Do you just want to be a statistic? Do you want to be one of those that Jesus said that many will get offended? They'll fall away. They're going to start betraying and hating each other, fighting amongst each other. There'll be false voices that emerge that will take advantage of that. They're, they're bitter. Um, they're offended. And now this false voice emerges, a false prophet voice will lead them astray. The increase of wickedness will be there, and so people's love will grow cold. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a statistic. I don't want to be one of the many that end up offended and led off into deception. I don't want to be one of the many that's love is going to grow cold. I want my heart to be on fire for God, and I want to still be able to forgive and love people. Listen to me, this is going to be a real challenging sermon as I get going. This, this is starting off real soft. But there's this, there was this old man that I, I saw him, you know, every day when I was out on this particular route. And I'll never forget this guy because he's, he's in this little scooter, you know, and he's got this little dog. And he's obviously got some very serious health problems, but the guy 
was just so mean and hateful and bitter. And he's just ate up with bitterness. I pray for him. I really do. I think about him sometimes and I pray for him. But I don't want to end up some old man one day that is full of bitterness and hate and meanness, ate up with all kinds of health problems. Y'all hear me? And these are going to be challenging times. And whenever I went to Brownsville, I believe it was in 2012, when we took a group of our young people at that time and several others, we just all just packed up and went down there. And I knew that the revival, for the most part, had been over around 2000, probably 2005. But they were having a conference for young people, and I felt led to go. And we went, and it was really powerful. But when I went, I had a dual purpose. I wanted them to be a part of the, um, you know, what was going on with the youth conference, which I really enjoyed. Rick Pino was there. It was anointed, man. It was powerful. But I also knew that there would be something in that house from that revival. I knew it. And I also knew that if I looked hard enough, I could find me some people from that revival. And I did. I found them. So I went out in the foyer and I recognized these two older ladies. And I knew that they used to pray for people because I went to Brownsville as much as I could. And I recognized them. And let me just tell you what happened when I went there. I wasn't necessarily expecting anything like this. But I just knew that God's presence would be there. And we were there worshiping. We came in the first night. We were just there worshiping the Lord. And I, I literally felt, it surprised me, I felt fire shoot up my legs from the floor went up my calves i felt it and i mean you're sitting there worshiping god all of a sudden you feel fire shoot up your legs it's like my eyes came open you know and i'm looking around and then this is not an exaggeration i'm sitting there thinking wow that was something and i felt a wind of the lord go by me like that man i knew it was an angel of the lord that service was so powerful that whole conference was powerful but i went and got those older ladies and some of you guys may remember that that guy that i had um pray for you guys you remember that at the end terry yes he's a a precious methodist minister that was there through that whole revival anyway i went and found him and i said hey guys i said my group's here i knew that you guys were part of the great revival brownsville would you pray for me they they were so sweet they they felt like they were honored i'm like are you kidding i mean we're we're the honored ones come pray for us please and they came and prayed over it we had to you remember we had to carry some people <laughs> when you go into church, you know, you're supposed to be getting out of wheelchairs. We had to wheel some people out. Remember that? <laughs> they were just so overcome. It was awesome. But when these things happen, revival comes. It's an awesome thing. And I've, I've seen some amazing biblical level things in revival. I love the move of God. But I don't want people to get offended. And let me tell you how it works. See, God will give you. When you go into the tabernacle of Moses, you remember you go in the tent. And you look at that tent. You go in on the right. There's that table of showbread that was there. They had the wine. They had the 12 pieces of unleavened bread. It was there. And then on the left, they had the lampstand that was lit. And the lampstand represents revelation and the anointing, the move of God. But that bread was before that lampstand. A lot of times the bread at Passover is called the bread of affliction. How appropriate. Because obviously them leaving Egypt, obviously that, but also with Jesus being our Passover lamb and the, the affliction he went through. But on top of that bread, whether it was something like a bowl or if they actually sprinkled it on the top bread, they had to put frankincense on top of it. It's in the Bible. And frankincense is somewhat bitter. And so if you went in there and you ate of that bread, there was a, a bit of a bitter taste. But that bread of presence, that bread translated in Hebrew, okay, panim is the face. Well, actually, face is panim, lechem. It was translated the bread of God's face. Like a face-to-face encounter. And if you eat of that, there's a, there's a bit of a bitter taste because the Lord's going to let you go through some stuff in life. Are you hearing me? He's going to let you go through some stuff. 
People say, well, I want to be like Jesus. All right? Then, you know, be ready for a Judas. Be ready for when you're in your worst time, all of a sudden all your friends run off. Be ready to be lied about. Okay? We want to all be like Jesus until the bread of affliction. And you you start going through stuff, but the Lord's trying to say that if you have the wherewithal to allow yourself to go through some things, then God can trust you to begin to receive some really powerful revelation and anointing and move of the Spirit at that lampstand. But He can't trust you with that until He knows that you can go through some stuff. And this is important because there's people today that are out of church and away from God and they're bitter and they're all bent out of shape over some of the most petty and stupid stuff you can imagine. And I mean to tell you that it is possible to get hurt in church. I've been hurt in church many times, but I'm still in God's house and I'm not going to get out of it. You remember the, the story about the field? And you know, Jesus said that there was a treasure in the field. And the man knew about this treasure. And he ran off and he sold what he had to buy the field because he wanted the treasure in the field. You've got to understand, that field probably, let's just speak metaphorically here, but you know, there's, there's broken down barbed wire fence. There's cockaburrels. There's... there's you know, old beer cans. There's all this junk in the field that you don't want in the field. The field is unkempt and ugly. Okay, It's not about the field that you really want. It's the treasure in the field. In the same way, people come to church and they start seeing all kinds of stuff. And they think, man, but guess what? The Lord's in the church. The Lord is in the church. I deserve more than one amen. He is in the church. And if you love the Lord, you want to be with him, and you've got to learn to walk in forgiveness. Now, let me go through this. And when I talked to those old ladies at Brownsville about praying for us, we were talking about different things, and they were telling me how they Steve would tell them during the revival to make sure and keep themselves like a pure vessel. Well, be careful that you're not you know, allowing some entertainment that you really shouldn't be watching or different things to go on. And she said they had to be really careful that if somebody hurt them, that they would forgive them immediately and not allow anything. They had to stay this pure flow in their life. And that, that bitterness would really clog that flow. All right, so here's what I want to talk about. I'm just going to read through some of these things I jotted down, so just bear with me. But don't get offended with God because things take longer or are harder than what you think they should be. I don't think there is a person that's walked with God that didn't think certain things have taken longer and been harder than what they probably needed to be. But just like Brother Benny talked about last week, you've got to embrace your process. Because God allows us to go through things for a reason that we don't always understand. And we may not understand until we see him, but everything does have a reason. And I'm going to tell you something else. I know some of you guys, and I know that some of you deep down, you want to walk in an anointing. I know you do. And, and getting alone with God and prayer and spending time with him is vital. That's where, that's where God's going to impart to you. And, you know, being humble and going to moves of God like what happened in the 90s and getting prayer, that's another way to get an anointing. But that, I'm telling you, this is the main point. That poor olive never did anything to anybody. That olive was just in the tree, just minding its business, never hurt anybody. All of a sudden, one day, somebody gets a stick and starts beating the tree. His little life starts getting shaken. A shaking starts happening. He done it. All of a sudden, he's fallen to the ground, slams on the ground. Some stranger picks him up, manhandling him, starts brushing all the dust off and everything. 
puts him under something and starts crushing him and the oil starts coming out. And people think, well, I want an anointing. Well, you know, spend time with the Lord and live holy. That's the main thing. And yes, be humble and receive from others. But don't think you're not going to get out of your personal crushing where God's going to start shaking your little life and you start thinking, what is going on? I've been there, man. You're like, what is going on? This doesn't make any sense. I mean, your whole world just starts getting shaken. It feels like some stranger's grabbing hold of you. All of a sudden, God starts to dust off and clean out the things you did not know was there before. You thought you was good. And next thing you know, you're going through a crushing that you did not ask for. You asked for the anointing. You didn't ask for the crushing. But God has called us to endure till the end. So here we go. Enduring to the end... The word end in the, in the Greek there refers to a consummation of all things. The Greek word used earlier in the falling away, many will fall away, they'll get offended. That is the Greek word scandalon, which is where we get the word scandal or scandalize somebody. When someone is offended, they start moving into unforgiveness and they begin to try to smear or scandalize other people and cause scandals in churches. This is really concerning because I've seen it a lot. And let me tell you something else while it's just coming to me, the Holy Spirit just, you know, guiding this. But you want to know what separates people that are mature from those that are babies the most? I remember one time with little Dominic, he was what, probably like three, five years old, somewhere, a little boy. I had to give him some medicine. The, he was being such a baby. Nobody could convince me that medicine tasted that bad. I mean, he was screaming, oh, I'm going to die, you know, just as oh. And I was like, I'm just looking at him like, seriously, this is not that bad. And he just, you know, but when you mature and you get older, you don't care about the taste of the medicine. You know what? Listen, there's more people in the church world that God could do great things through them. But whenever it's time for a pastor or somebody to sit down and talk to them about stuff in their life that's not right, things that they need to work on or something like that, most pastors out there tell you, I won't touch it. Because people are like that little baby. They can't handle it. Uh, they get offended. Next thing you know, they hate the pastor. And the whole time, if they would just humble themselves and receive that, they could start going into a whole new level spiritually. As Brother Zach has talked about, the knocking the rough edges off. You know, David picked up those smooth stones out of the brook because that water caused those rocks to keep banging up against each other and it knocked all the rough edges off. You can just see people in church, ow, hey, hey, you're knocking my rough edge off over there. You know, they're just bumping up against each other, getting offended. But if you would learn to let that process happen in you and not get offended, not get out of church, not get bitter and angry about stuff, but let God refine you like gold in the fire. Most people, as soon as things get difficult, they want to jump and run and go somewhere else and never deal with their stuff. And God wants to deal with it. God wants to use them. God's wanting to do a great work through their life. They've got so much potential, but he can't use them because every time he goes to knock off their rough edges, they get mad, they jump up and go to a church down the street, and they hide their rough edges, and it'll come up there, and they'll just get mad and go over here. And it's a process their entire life, and they never spiritually amount to very much at all. Hello? I love Pastor Scott. I will not be mad at Pastor Scott. <clears throat> the root word for scandalon is to jump up and snap shut. And scandalathron, I believe that's how you say it, was an arm of a stick that was used to place the bait. The baiting of offense. Satan puts that bait there for a trap. He's trying to bait you into something. 
is very satanic. The reason people are so sensitive is because of pride. They can't be corrected. You guys ever had to use a mousetrap or something? And you know that that little flap there where you put the peanut butter or the cheese or ham or whatever you're going to put, that little flap there? All right, that's the bait. That's the scandalethron or however you say it. That's the, the, what Satan's trying to suck people in. And just like that little mouse going up there, if they take the bait, it's going to clamp down on them and trap them. And Satan's trying to set a bait where people get so offended. I, I'll tell you, I know true stories. I'm just trying to be really careful how I say it because I don't want to present things the wrong way or whatever. But I've known people. There was one person. I didn't feel that right now they need to be praying for people, and they didn't. And I just told them, no, not right now. From that moment on, that person turned against me. I had nothing but problems with them until they were gone because they couldn't be told no. And it wasn't time. They weren't ready. And it was very apparent that I was right later on. But the reason why people are so sensitive is pride. I remember my aunt one time. She, I don't remember what she was doing. It was Debbie. She wiped out, man. She fell down. And we were like, man, are you okay? And she's like, I'm fine. The only thing hurt is my pride. And I always remembered that. You know what it is? A lot of people really are fine. The only thing hurt is their pride. They can't be corrected. I have pastor friends that we spend time together and they speak into my life. I speak into their lives. I was asking a pastor friend not long ago and he gave me some advice about some things and, and others and, and, and I embrace that. I've asked my elders sometimes speak to me about certain things and They'll, they'll tell me what they see. You have to be humble and be able to listen to things like that. But you also have to be careful who you listen to because Satan has some false voices like Jezebel spirits that will lead you astray if you listen to them. Enduring to the end for Christians is not just plagues and earthquakes and wars and rumors of wars and difficulties in the earth and the great falling away and, and all this stuff, the Antichrist spirit, all that's going to be there. But I believe the greatest warning for us as Christians is not enduring to the end through those things per se, but that we don't get offended and begin to betray and hate one another get out of God's house and end up getting deceived by some false prophet spirit that's coming along telling us what we want to hear. See, people get offended and they get bitter and they start rebelling against the leader. They start bucking up against this church. And next thing you know, there'll be some little false prophet Jezebel over here that's going to start telling them, you know, you're right about them. If they would just listen to you, and start speaking false prophecy into their life and leading them astray into greater bondage than you could imagine. Next thing you know, they were feasting at the table of the Lord and now they're sitting at Jezebel's table. Many have been, been offended and now they sit at home refusing to go to church or tithe and they become little rebels. So how do we endure We've got to be able to take correction. We've got to be able to be told no. You know, that was something that I heard a preacher say, I'll never forget. He said, you don't know somebody is a rebel till you tell them no. He says, as long as you're telling them, yeah, sure, okay, that sounds great. That's a good idea. As long as you're doing all that, you're just going along with them. But the day that you say, no, I don't think we're going to do that. I don't feel good about that. That's the day you're going to know if they're a rebel or not. So how do we endure? We're going to have to be humble in a day when pride is so prevalent. I mean, you guys know when you read the book of Revelation, you have already some idea about the Leviathan spirit, and you see it in what Job, and I think Job 40, and you see it in Isaiah, where it says, it might be 29 if I'm not mistaken, but it talks about how Leviathan is, it rules over the children of pride, and, it, and it's got to take God's fierce sword to defeat that thing. And, and then you look over in the book of Revelation, and you see this, this end-time beast with seven heads and ten horns emerging, and it's that Antichrist world system. But you can't help but compare that beast with Leviathan. You know why? Because people are going to become more and more and more and more and more arrogant and self-centered. Read Second Timothy 3. 
boastful, proud, arrogant, lovers of themselves, abusers, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure. People are going to become more and more arrogant. So in a time when people are getting more and more prideful, we need to be more and more humble. So how do we endure? The word endure comes from two Greek words. Hupo, which means under, and pharaoh, which means to bear. The image is a plant that gets trampled on, but arises to flourish again. I honestly felt when I read that, I thought about river of life, I really did, because Satan has tried to trample the same more than once. But you see how you walk through there, and maybe there's this beautiful flower. I've accidentally done this since Miss Sandy's in the other room. She'll plant flowers, and I'll be trying to do something. I'm trying to work, you know. And next thing I know, I look down, I realize my foot is like on her flower. And I know, I'm like, oh, man. So I, I lift it up, and the flower's kind of crushed. And I just kind of look around, make sure she didn't see it. And I just pray a little prayer, you know. And next thing you know, hopefully, if the flower's all right, it'll pop back up, right? And so what God's wanting us to be able to do is that we can actually endure some affliction. We actually can go through some stuff. That even though we're in church, and, and maybe somebody rubbed us the wrong way. Maybe, maybe, you know, pastor rubbed us the wrong way. Whatever. But we're man enough and woman enough that we're not going to get offended by anything. And we're just going to walk in humility and love and forgiveness. And we're just going to be where God wants us to be. I don't know about you, but I don't want offense. And I don't want the devil dictating my life. Whether I'm in church, out of church, where I go to church, all that. I want the Holy Spirit to dictate where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be there. Not because I'm upset and bitter about something. God wants us to be able to get trampled upon and pop right back up and flourish. But the only way you're going to do that is to really walk in forgiveness. Ministers have to learn to walk in unprecedented forgiveness and unconditional love on a very high level. Many are abandoning their post and thousands, and this is not an exaggeration, it's probably an understatement actually, thousands are leaving the ministry because of the abuse that goes on toward them and their families. Jezebel's victims and false prophecy plays on the offense in people. You remember Jeremiah was prophesying the truth, but it was not what people wanted to hear. Derek Prince said about Jeremiah, it might have been that Jeremiah was the only true prophet in his day. Think about that for a whole nation. It is likely Derek Prince said that Jeremiah was the only true voice, but yet there were thousands of false prophets. Thousands. They were speaking out the, the prophetic word saying, everything's going to be good. God's happy with us. All is well. We've got God's favor. And Jeremiah's over there weeping. saying, why are you listening to them? Repent. Get things right. Judgment will come if you don't. But see, people nowadays are so sensitive. And please take what I'm saying the right way, but if, I don't know if you guys have heard about these college students that are upset about, you know, Trump's win. And, and listen, these are, I'm going to go ahead and say it. Is that right? Listen, these are grown people. These aren't five-year-olds. These are grown people. And they're having to have little therapy dogs, coloring books. I'm not, I'm not sure that's an exaggeration. Teachers having to cancel classes. I guess they're going to sit in a corner rocking back and forth, sucking their little thumb. I don't know. But I'm just saying that what's going on? I hope, I hope that when I raise a child that grows up into a young man, a young woman, that they understand that life is not about you always getting what you think you should get and that you're going to go through some difficult times. And it's the difficult times that make you a real man or a real woman. And help you grow up. And that they're not going to sit in a corner sucking their thumb crying like a little baby. Just because they didn't get their way. Well I said it anyway. And when people are told no. Many will turn into a Korah. Like I talked about earlier. Let me tell you something about Korah. A lot of people don't know much about him in the Bible. It just talks about him being a Levite. But if you look at Jewish tradition, and there's probably some truth in this, here's about Korah. Korah, in the land of Egypt, according to Jewish tradition, 
was like a liaison between the people of Israel and those that were in the Egyptian leadership. And so he actually did not have to do a lot of the manual labor. He was like a liaison. He would go from the Egyptian leaders and go tell the people. He'd hear the people. He'd go report it back. He was a wealthy man because of his position. And according to Jewish tradition, when Israel left, remember they plundered Egypt, he had the keys to the storehouse, and he was able to go in there and acquire quite a bit of wealth. And so when he came out of Egypt, he was very wealthy. He was also a Levite, and he was of that, there were three different groups of them, but he was of that group, the Kohathites, that were able to carry the most holy articles. And in, in Jewish tradition, guess what he carried? The ark. Now, if you were not going to be Moses and you were not going to be Aaron, what would be the next greatest thing? Be able to carry the ark. But that wasn't enough for him. And you look at the story, and it seemed like the Reubenites were kind of stirring this up because probably the Reubenites, being that Reuben was the firstborn, they were upset. Why are the Levites getting to do all this stuff? Why are the Levites able to go into God's presence and be the ones that minister in the tabernacle and and do all of this? Because they're of the bloodline that was the firstborn. But Korah rose up in rebellion against Moses. Who do you think you are, Moses? Am I not a Levite also? You take too much upon yourself. And Moses is probably thinking, I didn't ask for all this. I was just in a field, and this bush started burning. And next thing I know, I'm here having to put up with people like you. I didn't ask for this. But Korah led this rebellion against Moses. And God, of course, we know the story. God opened the earth and swallowed Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and those that were with him. And those that were part of that rebellion also died. There's something about knowing our place in the kingdom and being content. You know, Korah, you would think him being a wealthy person. And how many times have we seen, I hope you all remember this because I may need your help with this one day. But how many times have we seen in churches where there are certain people that really have a lot of money and so they give a lot into the church, but then because they give a lot, they want to control They want to dictate what's going on, but that's not their place. Just because you make good money doesn't mean that you're the authority. And that was kind of like Korah. Korah probably was wealthy and gave a lot into the building of the tabernacle and was thinking, well, I should have a say-so about what's going on. I'm a Levite also. I carry the ark. I mean, this is all according to Jewish tradition, but I'm sure there's some truth to it. I carry the ark. I'm, I'm somebody. I should be able to dictate what's going on. And he wanted to fill Moses' shoes. Remember how King David honored Saul as God's anointed and refused to touch him. And David's attitude was, God will deal with the leadership. Amen? The table of showbread, I already talked about this. Persecution precedes revelation. Let me just say this, a dead man cannot be offended. God wants us all to get to a place where we're crucified with Christ. It's not us who live, but it's Christ living through us. Because if you die daily, and you realize that there's a spiritual dimension to this. There's times, and this is the truth. I mean, there's times that I have sensed um, something going on attacking me, or, or maybe Brienne or Sandy or somebody, and I've sensed kind of a tension, and it's, it's a spiritual battle trying to cause problems before a powerful service. It's easy if you're not careful You start getting irritated with the person, and next thing you know, both of you are kind of fighting. But that's exactly what the devil wants to do, just distract and hinder that service. But if you discern the spirit behind it, and that's what Jesus was saying in Matthew 18, 15 through 20. I encourage people to read that when you go home. That's exactly what Jesus was trying to say, was in Matthew 18, that there would be people that are offended. And he said, if you have a problem with your brother, go talk to them. If they don't listen, take a few others with you. And he was trying to lay out church discipline where he knew pastors were going to have to deal with certain things. But he goes on to say, 
understand that if two of you agree on earth is touching anything it'll be done for you whatever you bind will be bound and he's trying to show us that there's a behind these divisive activities that go on there is a divisive spirit trying to cause it and if you'll pray and if you'll bind that a lot of these problems will just disappear i hope i'm not losing people yet because that was good If you remember that, remember that something behind the scenes is trying to divide God's people. All right, so let me start closing this out. God's love versus a religious spirit. Please be careful with this religious spirit. As you know, we talk about religious witchcraft. There is a a spiritual force in Dallas. But here's some things about a religious spirit. Number one, we're all different and we're supposed to be. You're not supposed to be like everybody else. We're all different and we're supposed to be. River of Life is supposed to be unique. I'm supposed to be unique to what God's called me to do. And people are not supposed to be like a little clone of River of Life or something out there. Those of you that are here and and love River of Life. We're all different. We have different callings, different giftings. That's why I like bringing different people in. Like Brother Benny, he's different. He's got a different gifting than I do. And I love having him come in and minister. But there's got to be room for the prophetic and patience with people that may not, as they're young in the Lord, there's people that are young in the Lord, they're young in the prophetic, and they're not going to hit it on the, the nail on the head every time. You know, they're just babes in Christ. And it would be, I believe it would deeply grieve the heart of the Father if somebody that's young in the Lord that's just simply trying to begin to function in a gifting that's new to them and they're, they're getting some things wrong that people just pounce on them and kind of crucify them and start calling them some kind of false prophet or something and crush that little gifting in them and they never want to do it again. I really believe that would grieve the heart of the Father. So we need to have some patience with people as they begin to grow in their giftings and give them some grace. We need to be patient with the imperfections in other people. I think it would be safe to say we can all agree there's nobody perfect in this room. Is everybody comfortable with that? So we need to be patient with everybody's imperfections. Don't make people feel that they have to measure up. A religious spirit makes people feel like you have to like measure up to something. Now, we need to preach the truth and I'm, you know, preach against sin and things like that. And people do need to be willing to repent of their sin. But, I mean, there's a process here. I'm closer to the Lord today than I was 20 years ago. But there's people that are young in the Lord that come in and they're baby Christians and they're going to be struggling in their walk. They're going to be struggling to overcome their past sins. And they don't need to come into a place that's too heavy-handed and too hard on them let them let them have room to grow up is this making sense you know i don't expect baby judah to walk out here and never trip and fall you know how would little baby judah feel if he came out and trip and fall and mom and dad are like what's wrong with you you know his mom his mind said he's too young to understand it but as he got older he'd be thinking well i was just a little kid you know i was doing my best And that's the way a lot of baby Christians are. They're trying. You know, they're trying. And we need to be patient with them. Amen? This is, I'm talking about a religious spirit. We need to bear with one another and display God's love. Be patient with people as they grow. Patient even with their convictions. Maybe their their convictions went from, they quit smoking weed, and now they're smoking cigarettes. It's like, well, you don't need to do that. But, you know, be patient with them, because to them, they're making progress. Okay? And they need to get over that too. But let God help them. I remember when I was younger in the Lord, I felt very, very little love. It was a very religious, cold, religious environment that I was in uh, when I first got saved. And it was very difficult. It was very painful. And I don't want River of Life to be like that. Because we're going to be seeing a lot of people saved. And they need people to be patient with them as they grow. People need room to grow in a loving environment to mature. So this is the religious spirit. Don't be religious. Relax. It's going to be okay. That's the the thing about a religious spirit. It makes people really uptight. 
they're wound way too tight, man. They, and it's like, just relax. It's going to be all right. And then facing a, a witchcraft spirit. Now, a lot of people don't know this is in the Bible, but the witchcraft spirit tries to control people's minds, their thoughts. Any of you guys ever had a, a thought shoot into your mind you knew was not you? Something shot a thought into my mind? Okay. Don't lie, because everybody's had it happen. I know you did. Okay. So this, there's something about witchcraft that tries to attack people's minds and control the way they think and they feel. Okay? So you've got to be careful not to get a bad spirit about you. How many people have gotten ticked off sometimes because you don't agree with something? I was just talking to Brother Benny. It was really cool hearing him say this. He was saying there was times in his life where he said that you know, he kind of got upset about something. He kind of got upset at a person or something. And he said, I couldn't really pray at first. But he said, I knew I had to go deal with this. And he said, I would get alone with God and I'd really pray it through. And he said, if I didn't really pray that through, he said, I would have got a bad heart, a bad spirit about me. It's important that we make sure that we don't allow the enemy to get us bitter. And let me tell you something else, something I've learned over the years. Sometimes a leader will say no about something, or sometimes they'll, they'll take a stand that you don't understand. But keep in mind this. Because of their gifting and their calling, they may understand something or see something you don't. And as time passes, as you give it some time, you'll look back on it and think, uh, I see where they were coming from. Makes more sense now. But at the time, you didn't understand. Just be careful. Sometimes you may not understand everything, but if you'll pray about it, keep a right spirit about you, probably down the road you'll understand it more clearly. Ezekiel thirteen eighteen, Satan will try to use these type people, man. I'm talking about maybe witches that are out there that serve the devil, but even the Jezebel type witches in the church. Thus says the Lord God, Woe to the women that sew pillows to armholes, make handkerchiefs upon the head of every statue to hunt souls. Will you hunt the souls of my people? Will you save souls alive that come unto you? See, there were witches in Israel at this time that people were coming to them, and they were, they were creating these little trinkets to try to control other people and dictate if they were going to die prematurely or if they were maybe going to get healed of a sickness. And God's rebuking this, saying, will you hunt the souls of my people? Let me tell you, you've got to be careful. I, this is probably over your, I don't want to get on this too much because it's too deep of a subject. But there is an ungodly witchcraft control out there. There's people that try to false prophesy and try to pray things against you or pray things a certain way, and it is not God. It's the devil. And they'll sound really spiritual. These Jezebel-type people seem to love revival. They seem to love the, the intercessory ministry, and they seem to love the prophetic. But, man, they bring a bad spirit with them. And if you let them, they'll try to manipulate and control that thing. And so you've got to be careful about that stuff, okay? So here's what I want to close with, two things pastors regarding church abuse please pray for my family as the church begins to grow because there's probably about 60 to 75 percent of things that you'll never know that is going on that you'll never even know about it because a pastor can't get up and air things publicly and let me just read this and they'll say a few things about it but you remember we talk about people getting offended and hurt Hebrews thirteen seventeen. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not grief, for this would be unprofitable to you. I think everybody knows in River of Life that me and, and Miss Sandy and our family, we love you. We want what's best for everybody. I think everybody can safely agree with that. They can tell we love you. We don't want bad things for anybody. We want everybody to be okay. We want you to be blessed. But a lot of times, I'm talking about across the board. Y'all hear me. A lot of pastors' kids have turned out very, very messed up. They're out of church. They're away from God. They can't wait to turn 18 and move out just to get away from church, to get away from church people because they saw all the abuse 
that their parents went through. I've known so many things like this over the years. And it really grieves pastors because they, they love their kids so much and they want their kids in church and on fire for God, but they know that their kids have seen so much stuff. And they've been so hurt. And I'm so thankful that my daughter, that did not happen to her. I I'm, I'm really am. That would broke our hearts if that had happened. And she's seen some things. Even when you guys did that pastor appreciation and y'all wrote those letters, which we read, and that really touched us, by the way. Thank you for that. But the one that Brianna wrote said on there, thank you that even though you went through all those betrayals and all the hurt and all the stuff she knows about that not everybody knows about, that you stayed strong with the Lord because she's seen it. You can't hide stuff from your family. They're going to know. But many pastors out there leave the ministry and they report that there's been a lot of psychological and emotional damage in their life and that they went into the ministry with just a normal, healthy self-esteem, but now they really deal with like um, post-traumatic stress, panic attacks. Um, They deal with psychological and emotional damage. And it took a strain on their marriage, took a strain on their family. And it's sad because 90% of it is church people abusing them, 90%. And they get out of the ministry because of it. So please pray for us because it takes a very high level of forgiveness and grace and love to be able to really forgive people and go through that and it not mess you up. When I said earlier thousands of preachers are getting out of the ministry, that's not an exaggeration. Thousands are leaving the ministry. They're like, I wouldn't wish this on a snake. And they're getting out. And, and they, they can't handle it. And the, the trick about it is that people are calling to ministry, hear me, is try not to take things personal. Understand it's the devil. And understand that you're not as bad as what they say. All right. So let's close out with this. A checklist for freedom, prayer, fasting, and giving. Isaiah 58, verse 8. This is... For those that want continual revival. The Bible says this in Isaiah 58. This is the chapter about prayer, fasting, and giving. You remember Jesus said in Matthew 6, I believe, where it says, when you pray, when you fast, when you give. These all go together. And the people of Israel understood that. He said in Isaiah 58, 8, Your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing and recovery will speedily spring forth. Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call to the Lord and he'll answer you. Look at that. You'll call to him. He'll answer you. Is anybody noticing how powerful these promises right here? Your light will break forth. Healing, righteousness, glory of the Lord guarding you. You'll call to me, I will answer you. He promises, I will answer your prayers here. You'll cry to me and he'll say, here I am. I will be with you. I'll be near you. But he says this, when you pray fast and give, he says, if you remove the yoke of being oppressive from your midst, be careful that you're not oppressive to other people. Remember what I was talking about earlier? baby Christians, maybe somebody younger in the Lord that doesn't always get everything right. Don't be oppressive. When I was young in the Lord, I was, uh, you know, I was still struggling with things myself, but I was in an environment where they were so oppressive toward me about it. Had I'd had somebody help me, you know, but be careful with that. There was one particular lady I had to deal with had a Jezebel spirit. And she had really beat down her husband psychologically and emotionally to where she could control him. And she was trying that with me. And I wouldn't put up with it, so needless to say, um, it was quite an explosion. But let me just tell you, that's oppressiveness. You know, that, that lady might say, well, I don't understand why my prayers don't get answered. Well, quit being oppressive. Quit psychologically and emotionally damaging your husband and then going before God wondering why he's not answering your prayers. Quit trying to tear down your pastor. Quit being oppressive to other people. Treat people with love. 
I've seen where parents will, you know, um, talk to their kid. Uh, and not joking. We all joke around. There's nothing wrong with joking. But, but really, really oppress them, beat them down. I've seen where husbands do that to wives. And then they wonder, why are my prayers not being answered? He said, remove that oppressiveness out of your midst. Stop the pointing of the finger. How many times we want to point the finger and say, well, God, it's their faults. Or the pointing of the finger of being judgmental and critical of other people. And he said, if you'll get rid of speaking wickedness, the gossip. How many people in churches over the years, how many of you guys have been in church for, you know, over 20 years? How many times have you heard people going around, running other people down, gossiping, slandering people, talking bad about people? You know what I'm talking about? And you don't want to associate with it. But that wickedness, they go around, they're a talebearer. They go around wanting to spread stuff about people. They speak evil. Then they wonder, why, why is there this, this oppression in my life? Why, why am I praying and not getting my prayers answered? And then he goes on to say, okay, so get rid of being oppressive. Quit pointing the finger. Quit speaking evil. And give yourself to the hungry. If you'll pray, if you'll fast, if you'll give, you know, we're um, here in River of Life, people give above their tithe to the poor. God sees that. Then your light will rise in darkness. Your gloom will become like the midday. The Lord will continually guide you and satisfy your desire in sun-scorched places. He'll give strength to your bones, your body, and he'll make you like a well-watered garden whose springs, um, spring of water, whose waters do not fail. And then he goes on to say, those from among you will, will rebuild ancient ruins, raise up age-old foundations, be called to repair the breach and restore streets with dwelling. So what God's saying there is, is if we'll put things out of our midst and we'll pray and we'll fast and we'll be givers and we'll get that stuff out, he will hear and he will answer and he will come with great power. But I'm going to tell you as I close this thing out, God's looking for faithfulness. When I was growing up, you know, my parents, we went to church every time the doors were open, and that was not abnormal. We went every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night, and we were just really faithfully there. You don't see that anymore. Most pastors will tell you that there's people, they don't know for sure if they'll be there from one week to the next. There's always something. And God, unfortunately, can't use people like that. And they're, they're creating a culture in their home of being in church, out of church. They're comfortable if they come. They're very comfortable if they don't. But they're creating that culture that they're going to pass on to their children, their grandchildren now. It's sad. But that's the day and age that we live. And I'm so thankful that I grew up in a home that was faithful to God's house. I'm going to tell you, it made all the difference in the world. Because if my parents were the type that, you know, for any flippant reason, we just didn't go because we were doing this, we were doing that, we were too busy, somebody didn't feel good, this went on. Are you kidding me? It wasn't like that. And I grew up in, in this consistently faithfulness, man. You know, they, they, they prayed and sought God. They were faithful to be tithers. They were faithful to God's house. And I wouldn't be here preaching right now if it wasn't for their faithfulness. I didn't grow up with a culture in my family that was so flippant about things, up and down. And we don't see a lot of that anymore. But some of you guys, I know the Lord is so proud of some of you with touching hearts that go so faithfully to help my mother, God sees that faithfulness. There's others of you like, you know, I, I think about today as I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking about Pastor Stephen. It's, it's extremely rare that you're not here. He's always here. He's faithful. That's rare nowadays. 
And whenever it comes time for God to use somebody, let me tell you who God's going to use. He's going to pass over many times those that you would think, well, surely this person, surely this person, oh, that person. He's going to pass them all by, and he's going to find that one person that was faithful and use them. And it's the parable of the talents. Remember, Jesus said those that are faithful with little will be rulers over much. And it's sad because you see the Laodicean deception that people say about themselves all the time, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm, I'm in need of nothing. These sermons just, they think it's about everybody else but them. I'm fine. Everything's great. And I'm thinking, okay, well, only God can show us. But I believe the Lord's saying, let me anoint your eyes where you can see some things about yourself you haven't seen. Let me give you gold refined the fire where now you can see things that you haven't seen before. Jesus said that there were those that had the talents, and these, these were, you know, like money. One had ten, another five, and another just had one. But the one that just had one thing, he ended up going and burying it and being unfaithful with it. And it made the Lord angry. And he took away his one and gave it to the person that had ten. Why? Because the person that had ten was faithful. And as a pastor, I know when it comes time for revival and God's needing to use people, He's going to use those He can depend on to be here faithfully. He's going to use those that are faithful to His house and faithful to Him. Those are the people. He'll pass over other people. I've seen Him do it many times. But He'll find the faithful ones. And I don't know about you, but in these last days, I want to be somebody that is not going to grow cold. I'm not going to get offended. I'm not going to become bitter. I'm not going to get out of church. I'm not going to get away from God. I have made up my mind, come hell or high water, come satanic attack, come Jezebel spirits, come Judases, come people in the church that are disappointing because they, they don't stand with you. Whatever it is, I am going after God. I've learned just to trust him. He'll work it out. So here's the checklist I encourage everybody. The checklist for all of us to examine yourself as we're going to be seeing a revival, people coming in, getting saved, great things happening. And it's going to be exciting. It's going to be powerful. And some of you, God will call upon you because you've been so faithful to be here week in and week out to help pray you know, I think about Miss Karen that drives a great distance to be here every possible time she can I remember John Kilpatrick saying during the Brownsville revival he said there were people that would save all this money just to come down they'd come in from other parts of the world they had to take vacation they had, to, they had to, to spend money that they maybe didn't even have and get all the way there. And then he said, but there were people that lived in Pensacola that wouldn't even come. There were people in the church that, that were never really faithful. They were there one week, not there the next. Unfaithful. Couldn't depend on them. Couldn't use them. Wouldn't it be sad to have a great revival like at Brownsville? And somebody, the pastor there saying, I really wanted to use these people to teach, to get up and teach. But I didn't know from one week to the next that they'd be there. And I couldn't use them. I wanted them to be an altar worker. But they never would be faithful. I wanted to see God really do something with them. But they were so up and down. So here's some things for all of us to check. Number one, are we easily offended or can we take correction? A lot of times people are really prideful and they'll always try to turn it back on you that it's your fault. You're the problem, not them. But can we take correction? Can we not be offended? Can we let God do a work in our hearts? Here's some questions. Do you tend, I want you to really be honest with yourself here. Do you see this in your life? Do you hold on to things? Are you somebody that's bitter and resentful and unforgiving? Do you tend to to hold on to stuff and not really forgive and let it go. It's like you harbor it over a long period of time. Man, you've got to let God deliver you from that. Are you stubborn? Are you slow to change, repent, and hard for you to apologize? 
Is there instability? Y'all read these with me. Is there instability? Always up and down spiritually. Do you have anger issues? Do you like to hear negative things about other people like gossip? Man, I hate to hear stuff like that. But you know what? Probably when I was young in the Lord, there was there's something about the sinful nature that likes to hear that stuff. Do you have a tendency to be critical, judgmental, fault finder debate? Do you have a cynical outlook on life or other people? Do you not like change or close to anything new or different? You know, there was this expression, well, this uh, metaphor this guy was using. He was saying an open jar, you can pour anything into it. But if you, if you cap that jar off, you can't get anything into it. Too many people are like a closed jar. They don't like change. Things are a certain way, and that's the way they want it. Let me tell you something. If you want God to move in your life, you're going to have to be somebody that's flexible, that can change. That's what Jesus was talking about. An old wineskin is no longer flexible like a balloon. It would get rigid. And they'd put new wine in it, and that new wine would begin to expand in there, and it would bust the thing open and ruin it. He said, you can't pour new wine into an old wineskin. We've got to remain flexible. Do you want to feel like you're in control or tend to be fearful? Some people tend to be fearful. Be careful with that. I have more faith in God to keep me than the devil to deceive me. And they tend to be divisive about doctrinal issues. They like to debate and argue among themselves and be divisive. They'll be, some people will be nice to someone's face, but then go out and talk bad about them behind their back. How many of us have worked with people like that? Come on now. They'll be nice to your face. Oh, how are you doing? How's your family? They're so nice. And then you walk by the break room and hear them and they're running you down. You're thinking, do you hate me or do you like me? Which one is it? You know, it's just weird. I mean, what's the deal? That's the way some people are in church. Oh, and also, are you not patient with other people and their flaws? Nobody's perfect. These are things just to examine ourselves tonight because I want people to be protected. I want people to be able to say, you know, five, six, seven, ten years down the road that you're in the will of God, you're right where God wants you to be, that you didn't get flung off, you didn't become a statistic, that you got bitter, you got hurt with somebody in church, now you're out of church, now you won't tithe, you won't go to church, you won't associate with God's people, and, and spiritually speaking, you're not really doing anything for God anymore. I don't want that. I want you 10 years from now, should the Lord tarry, to be like, Pastor Scott, I'm still on fire. I'm, I've forgiven everybody I need to forgive. I know my place in the kingdom. I have planted myself, and I am bearing fruit. I love Pastor Scott. I will not get mad at Pastor Scott. <laughs> As I, I'm preaching this to all of us, myself included. I want to get established. I want to stay right where I'm supposed to be with the Lord. And when he starts moving in power, I don't want to get offended. I don't want to get out of his will. I want to be faithful. It's rare that you really see faithfulness. But I want to be faithful. The Bible says many are called, few are chosen. But when Jesus comes, he's going to come with his called, chosen, and faithful. I want to be those that was called, and I was faithful, so God picked me, he chose me, and I remained faithful to the end. So, Lord, as we close this out today, Lord, help us to examine ourselves and be ready. And we're not going to allow ourselves to get bitter. We're not going to allow ourselves to get in unforgiveness. We're not going to allow ourselves to get out of the will of God. We're not going to try to blame others. But we want you to do a work in us and help us to become more like Jesus and go deeper in Christ than we've ever been. We want to be ready in this revival that's coming in Jesus' name. Help us, Lord. So tonight, we're going to pray for people. This is the word of the Lord tonight. Given that we're not going to have service next week, I would have picked a positive word. But um, the Lord wanted me to preach on this. And um, I'm going to preach what he tells me to. But you know, it's not really negative. I guess all how you look at it. We want the whole Bible. We want the whole truth, right? And sometimes you get Twinkies. Sometimes you get broccoli and cauliflower. And this is, this is broccoli and cauliflower tonight.